I want to call our attention to Matthew 25, verses 31 to 46. This is Jesus, of course, speaking um, about the um, last days, if you will, or the judgment day. And the words read as follows. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you did not look after me. They also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? He will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. I invite you to consider the subject with me, seeing Jesus. Seeing Jesus. When did we see you, Jesus? This is the question raised in our parable by people on the right and left side of Jesus. Both groups are surprised to discover Jesus is present with those he calls the least of these, not because such persons are less in Jesus' eyes, but because human eyes fail to see and honor the image of God in them. Denied compassion and justice from people who participate in systems that marginalize and dominate. The least of these suffer hunger, thirst, nakedness, attitudes of xenophobia, illness, and imprisonment. While the least of these are poor and in need, the most poor and needy in actuality are those who do not respond to them. After all, the judgment of Jesus is not upon the least of these, but those who disregard them in this sacred text. When did we see you, Jesus? The General Assembly of our denomination is calling us to be a Matthew 25 church. 
It's one of the ways we see Jesus and make a commitment to align with his teachings, particularly Matthew 25, verses 31 to 46, read today. That passage of scripture is now the biblical and theological basis for the Presbyterian Mission Agency's trifold focus to dismantle structural racism, eradicate systemic poverty, and build vital congregations. Building vital congregations is a basic tenet of the Matthew 25 vision for all ministry in Jesus' name flows from the vital faith of those who follow him. Building congregational vitality is not dependent upon the size of the budget or the number of members on your role, but the faithfulness of believers who actively engage the world, serving others in Jesus' name. Congregational vitality calls for the intentional development of faith by mentors and teachers who are part of the faith community. It encompasses reading scripture, studying the Bible, exploring hot topics facing our world, and taking our faith from the sanctuary to the ordinary of life, engaging community leaders, politicians, and whoever is necessary in order that the hungry are fed, the thirsty have drink, the naked are clothed, the stranger is welcome, the sick and those in prison receive support, and justice rolls down like water, and righteousness as an ever-flowing stream. Internal conviction is what moves and motivates members of congregations to develop vital faith. There's a story told by Dr. Geddes Hansen, professor of practical theology at Princeton Theological Seminary. I uh, was a graduate of SFTS, where Professor Hansen would often come and serve as a visiting instructor. In one of his lectures, he describes a true story of an aspiring seminarian student. It was during a time before social media. The student in question had not yet even enrolled in a doctoral program. But every morning she would go to the library, visit the stacks, and read and write about her subject. No one told her to do it. No one coaxed her to get up. She wasn't preparing papers for a professor to grade. She simply had an internal conviction. She understood herself to be a scholar before she received her PhD. Well, in the same way, when believers understand ourselves to be agents of healing and vehicles of hope in the world, when the church knows we are the body of Christ, the hands and feet of Jesus, we will be careful to see those pushed to the edge and offer our support to the least of these in our world. This self-understanding does not fall from the sky. It is shaped by the church and those special mentors in our lives. I grew up in Oakland, California with two older sisters and one younger brother. We were members of the local Presbyterian church, but during the summer, I went to Berkeley, California to visit my cousins and spend time with my maternal grandparent who were part of the Church of Christ Holiness. My grandmother was a spiritual mentor to me. She taught me the importance of prayer and study, worship and applying our faith to everyday situations and serving God's people. She, along with my faith community, helped me to clarify my self-understanding and conviction of what it means to be a Christian. We are saved to serve. When church leaders and members do the same, 
Vital congregations bubble up. They become a reality. And worship and serving the people of God are the outflow of our inner convictions. When did we see you, Jesus? Not only does the Presbyterian Matthew 25 vision invite us to build congregational vitality, it also calls us to eradicate systems and dismantle structures that perpetuate racism and poverty. Someone once said that if one fish floats up on the shore, you say, what's wrong with the fish? But if a school of fish wash up on the shore, you say, what's wrong with the water? A systems approach focuses on the water. While the individual fish has a choice, those choices are impacted by the water it's swimming in. Fix the water so the fish can swim free. The water of poverty flows throughout this planet. In nations large and small, people do not have the necessities of life. The supplemental poverty measure in America reveals that out of the 386 million Americans, in 2018, there were 140 million persons in this country, including 38.5 million children who live in poverty. Eradicating systemic poverty means addressing the root causes of poverty. It requires more than urban plunges, mission trips, or sending supplies to people in need because while these acts may help for a moment, they are not enough to sustain the communities that are recipients of our charity. In fact, this kind of momentary mission can breed toxic charity and create paternalistic relationships. Seeing those suffering from poverty and standing with them, raising our voices, using our pens, influencing fellow believers, helping to find sustainable economic solutions, pressing for just policies, supporting community leaders, and working for change that aligns with Jesus' teachings is what eradicating poverty is all about. As we deal with this COVID-19 pandemic, the impact of poverty on black indigenous people of color and people who are poor, who is, uh, is in plain view. Black indigenous people who are poor suffer a disproportionate number of deaths from coronavirus. How can you wash your hands when you don't have the money to pay your water bill and your water is shut off? When you live in cramped corners with people who must work, your risk of catching the virus is higher, even with a mask and physical distancing. The higher death rate among those who are poor and black indigenous people of color is caused in part by the fact that many of these persons work in service industries. They are food chain and restaurant employees. They clean buildings, hospital rooms, and work in assisted living facilities. They check out our groceries and deliver packages to our door. Along with first responders and healthcare workers, they are essential workers and valuable. Yet the amount they make and the risks they take do not match their worth. When did we see you, Jesus? Eradicating systemic poverty is lofty. It requires time, more than just a handout, but truly a hand up, standing with God's people and changing the world in which we live. It may seem almost too much, but it is possible. There's a video on YouTube that tells the story of Rockford, Illinois. Upon his election as mayor of that city, 
Larry Morrissey announced that the city of approximately 149,000 persons was going to end homelessness for veterans. The mayor gathered those of like mind and went to work. In the video, one woman said that she did not see those without homes living in her community until the Action Homeless Initiative started. The citizens in Rockford went around the city and they developed uh, a list of veterans who had no permanent place to stay. They listened and learned the stories of how the veterans ended up without a home. Gradually, the list became real people and friends to them, fellow neighbors who they cared deeply about. The city then began creating a coordinated system that gave them an ability to do population health management. They prioritized making certain every veteran had a home. A home is a covering of protection. With a home, you have a place to eat and get relief from heat and pain. With a home, you are better able to treat physical and mental health issues. With a home, you have a return address to put on your resume. With a home, you are less exposed to police officers who may arrest you for sitting at Starbucks table too long, just saying. Ending homelessness is essential to eradicating poverty. In 2015, Rockford, Illinois became the first city in our nation to end homelessness for all veterans in its city. That was 73 veterans. And then in 2017, Rockford was the first city to end chronic homelessness for 291 persons. It can be done with a made-up mind and when we see and respond to those in need. When did we see you, Jesus? Matthew 25 is the basis of our focus on developing vital congregations, eradicating systemic poverty, and finally, Matthew 25 is the basis upon which we seek to dismantle structural racism. Jesus demonstrates his concern for how we see and respond to those seeking help for their poverty, including the spiritual poverty of racism. Dismantling structural racism means seeing and addressing systems that privilege white siblings over black and indigenous people of color. In the publication Groundwater, Building an Understanding of Structural Racism, the Racial Equity Institute of North Carolina provides research that demonstrates white siblings fare best and have advantage over blacks and indigenous people of color in virtually every system in this nation. And that advantage is not due to differences in culture or even social economic reasons, but race. For example, with regard to the medical system, in a 2002 study called Unequal Treatment, the Institute of Medicine found research indicating black people and indigenous people of color are less likely than whites to receive needed services, including clinically necessary procedures, even after correcting for access-related factors such as insurance status and healthcare providers' diagnostic and treatment decisions. Researchers at Harvard and the University of Chicago show how the employment system works in this nation. They sent out 5,000 resumes that were identical, except that half had black-sounding names and half had white-sounding names. White resumes were 1.5 times as likely to get a call back compared to otherwise identical black resumes. 
In 2018, the Center for Investigative Reporting found that African Americans and Latinos were, with similar credit scores and financial histories as their white siblings were routinely denied conventional mortgage loans at rates far higher than their white counterparts. Stanford psychologists Jennifer Aberhart and Jason Okanafu did a 2015 study of the educational system and discipline where they presented teachers with written vignettes of identical nature showing students misbehaving. The only difference was that half of the vignettes had black sounding names and half had white sounding names. Teachers of all races said that fictitious students with black sounding names were more disruptive, more likely to be repeat offenders, and more appropriately labeled as troublemakers. The bias, bigotry, and prejudice against people of color is seen in the behavior of police departments and the criminal justice system. The reality is we are dealing with dual pandemics of COVID-19 and COVID-1619, the year that structural racism began and enslaved African people arrived in America forced to work for free for over 400 years. Videos and social media have now made the names of George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, and Ahmaud Omri common for people in our country and even around the world. We know that Ahmaud Omri was shot by white vigilantes while jogging in Georgia. Breonna Taylor was killed by police officers who entered her home while she was sleeping in Kentucky. George Floyd was tortured in broad daylight as a white police officer put his knee to Floyd's neck and held it there for eight minutes and 46 seconds in Minnesota. These murders have resulted in protests in our nation and again around the world. At times the protests have become violent and, and I don't condone violence, but while I listen to folks cry out against the riots, the lootings, the fires and destruction of statues and buildings, do these same voices cry out when black and brown peoples are being killed, our bodies looted, lynched, set on fire and destroyed? Silence can be the worst form of violence. Today we cry black lives matter because in too many instances black lives have not mattered. When did we see you, Jesus? Ending racism means that we must see how the systems work and develop new policies and solutions and reimagine how all of God's children might live in this wonderful world that God has given to us. Let me end with a true story of my mother. Uh, her aunt left her four sisters and she a box of jewelry and they were to get whatever they wanted on a first come first serve basis. And as it turns out, my mother was the last to get to the box and all that was left was a gold uh, costume jewelry pin with diamonds on it or so she thought. So my mother, she didn't really, she wasn't very happy about it. Uh, she didn't wear pins, but she took the pin for similar reasons. Well, one day she was kind of rummaging through her jewelry box and she noticed the pin and she picked it up again. And she noticed that the diamonds were meticulously set. They were all over the pin, but she looked and then she thought it was a little lighter than it should have been if it were just costume jewelry. So she took it to a jeweler and she found out it was real. A pure 14 karat gold pin with diamond chunks all around it. She cashed in. She wondered how she could have missed this pin. 
and her sisters wondered the same when they learned about it. They had not seen what was in plain view. When did we see you, Jesus? Could this be what Jesus is trying to get us to do in this story? To look again at him, to see what uh, he is all about, to see him in plain view, to note his values and the worth of those whose cry for help are being raised, to understand what we hold in our hand. My friends, we have an active, compassionate, caring, merciful preacher, teacher, healer, helper, system-changing, justice-gaining, sight-giving, prophet, judge, and son of God who serves us and calls us to do no less for others. When did we see you, Jesus? As you did it unto the least of these, you did it unto me. May it be so with all of us. Amen. We're so grateful for Diane Moffitt and her gifts and her sermon and her leadership in our church and her presence with us today. Let all the people say, Amen.